0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Nation. That's Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, along with Camaro Dave and Commander Chris, coming to you from the Turnit and Don't Burn It studios in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Barbecue Nation is now proudly part of the Envision Radio Network. And I'd like to say hi to our newest affiliate, WCGO in Chicago, 1590 and 95.9. It's great to be with you guys back there. You know, uh, just getting over or starting to get over uh, Hurricane Dorian. And there's been lots of other big storms and hurricanes, and believe me, there will be more. So our guest today on The Nation is Stan Hayes. He's the CEO and co-founder of Operation Barbecue Relief. We're going to be talking to Stan here in a minute, not only about the operation, but the uh, cookbook they just put out. And also, we'd like to thank Painted Hills Natural Beef. Painted Hills Beef, you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Mm -hmm. Hills Natural Beef. All right, Stan, welcome, buddy. Hey, JT, thank you very much for having me on the show. No problem. So let's give some people some background if they're not familiar with Operation Barbecue Relief. How did, how and why did you start it?
1: Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, the, the background on OBR is that uh, in 2011, uh, close to home here, uh, we're in Kansas City. Um, One of the most deadly tornadoes to ever hit the United States hit in Joplin, Missouri, about two hours south of Kansas City. And uh, um, and me and some other competition barbecue friends decided that we should go down there and pool our resources, if you will, of getting our, our buddies to come down there instead of competing against one another. Let's go help the community. We can cook a lot of meat, and we get enough smokers down there. We'll, we'll certainly cut, you know, be able to make a difference. Oh, sure. So that's what we did. We we rallied the competition barbecue world, um, judges, reps, whoever wanted to come, we invited. And we went down there. Thought we'd be there for three or four days, five days, and maybe serve you know four or five thousand meals, and feel good that we were able to make an impact in the community. What we found was that we ended up being there 11 days and serving 120,000 meals and found a great need that existed. Um, and, and so at that, before we even left, you know, that parking lot in Joplin, Missouri, we said, you know, we're going to turn this into a nonprofit. And uh, it was, you know, that group that, that sort of helped bring this all together um, that really was the genesis for the start of this. And that is, you know, if we just wanted to go help.
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, it's always a great thing to extend a helping hand. But when you guys, you know, go out there and you're actually at the scene of the crime, so to speak, and uh, you're helping your fellow man by doing what we do mm-hmm. best in this world, that's that's a pretty cool thing, Stan. It really is. <clears throat>
1: Well, we, we we couldn't think of anything else to do, and we thought, who better than a bunch of guys that go set up in a parking lot with minimal needs, right? Than us to go do that, and so that was that's what we did, and to, to this day we continue to go set up in parking lots and uh, you know provide those meals that that matter to those communities.
0: Now you have to have support for this type of operation. I mean, I'm familiar with things similar, not exactly like this one, but. Who did you reach out to as far as uh, food providers, whether it's the meat or the uh, non-perishables, uh, that you know, canned beans or whatever you're serving up there? And then what about some of the manufacturers for, uh, you know, your own cookers? You guys can't always put those on planes and haul them to Florida or, or uh, you know, Venezuela or wherever you're going. I mean, you can't really do that. So how did you work that out?
1: Yeah, so, you know, when we went to Joplin, our, our first thing was, was, you know, the Sam's Club tour was still, it was really big at that point eight years ago. And we thought, well, we have some connections where we've met some people from Sam's Club, from competing and everything. Let's go to Sam's Club and see if they'll, they'll donate some meat to us. You know, we had another local nonprofit here in Kansas City that does a lot of, does a lot in the community and they used their, you know, that to help raise some money for us. Um, and, and then we just started reaching out. I mean, if you can get into something like Sam's Club, you know, they can help you with the perishable and non-perishable goods. And, and it happened to be in, in, in Joplin, the Walmart was actually destroyed from that um, tornado, but the Sam's Club was not. And uh, so that, that, that got us going. That got us in the door, if you will, um, for that disaster. And we've worked with them since, but they're not, you know, today they're not one of our, our big sponsors because they're actually, you know, during the time started introducing us to the manufacturers. Well, that was great. Uh, you can't beat that. Yeah. So, you know, one of the first sponsors, though, that we got and has been a sponsor since about 2012, I believe, is when we when we first started working with them, those old hickory pits uh, um, out of Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Mm-hmm. and. You know, they make the large rotisserie pits that you find in a lot of, um, you know, um, different rest- you know, barbecue restaurants sure. around the country. And you'll find a lot of caterers and, and whatnot in that business that use them. But, you know, the Knight family basically, if from the time of the introduction, said, man, we believe in what you're doing and we're going to support you. And they've supported us since then with the cookers, and and so we're not having to roll in with our competition cookers and try to cook this kind of these kind of meals anymore. We're rolling in with, you know, their high capacity propane-fired you know, rotisserie ovens that we can put as much smoke on or leave off depending on different dishes that we're doing because. Over time, we've had to, we don't always just do a traditional pulled pork sandwich anymore. You know, we do a lot of turkey, we do a lot of chicken, we do a lot of pork loin, other things. We do a lot of one pot meals where we may not put smoke on that meat. Uh-huh. We may just be using it as an oven. We're using it as the device to cook a large amount. In, in, for us, we've got to, we know how much we can put on each one of those smokers. So if we have to scale up, we know how many we need to bring in.
0: What's the maximum? Just I'm just curious about this as a barbecue guy. <clears throat> excuse me. What's the maximum uh, that you could put in there? Say of pork butts in one of those cookers. So,
1: so the the model that we're using we have two different models, but the model that we use for pork um, fits between eighty to ninety pork butts in there. So it can produce about two thousand servings um, at a turn wow. of its pork butt. That's obviously if it's pork loin, we can we can cook it faster, but we don't get quite the yield because of how we have to load it. Right. Um, you know, and then we have we have one that that um, is only for pork poultry, um, and it's it's about not quite double. It's about a you know one and a half times what that does. So the other one. Um, you know, or actually more than that. It's, uh, you know, that we can, we can do, you know, we can probably do about 270 on, on the other one or two, you know, yes. 200 and something. Um, but that one we've anointed for poultry only. That way we can cook a large amount of, uh, chicken or turkey faster and we don't have to worry about cross-contamination or anything like that because we're, we, we keep, you know, the poultry over there, you know, in that larger cooker. And we, we keep the, the pork in, uh, on the other side, if you will.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask if you tend to. I mean, when you get in a situation, <clears throat> excuse me, and some of these people haven't had a square meal for a while. And, you know, they're battling because their devastation and their lack of uh, basic necessities. And, you know, probably the most one important is water. But they're hungry, and you've got to cook kind of fast, I would think, to, you know, you want to cook it good, and you want to make it tasty and fulfilling and nourishing and all those great things. But also, you don't have, you know, 14 hours to, to pull down a brisket for them, I would think.
1: Yeah, so so we actually use the nighttime cook overnight yeah. for rest and, and everything for our guys. And that's when you will do, like, pork butts or a long cook, you know, the overnight cook. During the day, we can, you know, if we're doing pork loin, if we really had to or even poultry, I mean, pork loins, we could turn probably two of them in a day, Mm -hmm. two more times after doing a round of pork, uh, pulled pork overnight. Um, Turkey um, is about the same, but if it's just chicken, you know, in that poultry cooker, about every two hours, we could turn, you know, start to turn over that. Um, that larger smoker. Sure, we're gonna, so, no, go ahead, sorry, Mike. Yeah, I was gonna say, and, and, and so therefore we can scale based upon we know what the needs are. We, we actually take orders, if you will, from the community um, and the different groups that are helping serve the community so we can make sure we maximize our efficiency.
0: Um, before we go to break, I wanted to tell you a little story here. According to a survey conduct, conducted by Apartment Guide, of people are choosing tricks over treats this Halloween, and here's why. Trick-or-treating isn't just for kids, as you know. It's what everybody looks forward to on Halloween. Parents are so devoted to the tradition that they started a petition around the country to extend trick-or-treating through Halloween weekend. But that doesn't mean that every parent will be passing out candy to the little nippers this year. The survey, which recorded the responses of roughly about 3,000 people, determined that 46% of people will not be handing out candy this Halloween. That same 46% also reported that they would not interact with the little costume munchkins. <clears throat> And 16% reported that they wouldn't be leaving the house at all on Halloween. So, so far, the spooky season is off to a bit of a weird start, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. While some people may be sitting out this Halloween, or at least the trick-or-treating part, that doesn't mean that there is no candy to be had. Almost a quarter of those 3,000 people surveyed said they'd be leaving candy in a bowl outside for the little nippers. Another 30% reported that they'd be selling... celebrating. Another 30% reported that they would be celebrating Halloween as usual. Fright fans between the ages of 55 and 64 are more likely to hand out candy. So before you make any huge plans for your little ghosts and goblins, check out your local and CDC guidelines. This story is courtesy of Taste of Home and Laura Dixon. Stan Hayes and I'll be back on Barbecue Nation right after this. Hey everybody it's jt and this is a special version of barbecue nation it is brought to you in part by painted hills natural beef beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends that's painted hills natural beef Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT here in the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios and part of the Envision Radio Networks. We thank you for listening. We're talking today with Stan Hayes from Operation Barbecue Relief. Uh, But before we talk to Stan, a couple of things. If you would like to email us, it's BBQ BBQ at SalemPDX.com. That's BBQ at SalemPDX.com. You can uh, ask any questions or comments, whatever you want there. Also, if you'd like to hear some of our archive of shows, and we've got several hundred, uh, you can go to SoundCloud and just go to Barbecue Nation with JT. Barbecue Nation with JT. We also have Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff, and you can find us. We're not that hard to find. So let's get back and talk some more with Stan Hayes, CEO and co-founder of Operation Barbecue Relief. Do you do this full-time now, Stan? Uh, You you know what? I do do this full-time about... uh...
1: Um, a little over a year ago, I had, I had an opportunity um, to, to make that decision, and, uh, you know, um, it was the, the right time for me personally to try, and it was the right time for the organization to, you know, with the growth that we were seeing, to bring somebody in on a full-time basis. Um, at that point, you know, we, you know, we'd had some part-time people that was about it,
0: trying to run a, an organization that was growing leaps and bounds. What did you do before this? I mean, I know you were involved in barbecue, but did you have a yeah. di- out a different type of job than a CEO oh yeah so i I was in
1: uh, I worked on the corporate side of insurance um,
0: for uh, an
1: insurance company for almost twenty four years when i when I left that so I started out as a claims adjuster and then moved into the marketing and sales side of the business' um, on the corporate side so working with agents and and leadership in the field was what you know. I did for the last, you know, six years of, sure. of my career.
0: Well, when you got away from that claim adjuster, you're probably, your popularity probably went up exponentially. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, that, that's really the toughest job. I tell everybody, uh, if you can go out and you
1: can, you can do that job and, and, and feel good about what you're doing and providing service to, to the customers and, and even the ones that aren't always happy, but at the end of the day, they can they look at you and say, you know, thank you. Um, you, know, you, you, with, you know, you did what you know. You did some impossible things sometimes, and and that's it. really where I learned about disaster work and everything was back then.
0: Absolutely. Did you, did you guys ever join forces with like FEMA or any? Are uh, working yeah. in conjunction with them a bit, a bit? So we
1: we've not really truly
0: worked in conjunction with them,
1: but we we get invited to a lot more FEMA things now. We you know we get recognized by. um by FEMA and uh, we're part of the, the national VOAD, which FEMA's, you know, um, involved with but the national VOAD was created after, you know, hurricane Katrina right. to better facilitate volunteer organizations active during disasters like ours to bring them together. And so about almost two years ago, we became, you know, one of the newest members, um, of that organization. And, and, uh, That I guess, uh, for the lack of a better term, that gives us a seat at the big boy table to talk about, you know, um, what's happening out there, Um, what what the needs are, and what you know, um, other organizations uh, are doing to help. And and uh, if you look at it, there's a lot more churches and and volunteer organizations and and uh, um, disaster groups like ours that really makes a difference. It's uh, you know, FEMA couldn't do it without those groups.
0: No, I understand that. Uh when we're off the air, I'll tell you that I at one time I had a direct relationship you might say with FEMA and it was very interesting, but I'm not going to tell that story here uh <laughs> while, while we're doing that. Um when you go some of those places don't have any place to stay. I mean, like with Katrina, they are there wasn't anything. You're headed to the Bahamas. We'll talk about that more in the next segment. I mean, you're headed to Florida to prepare for food to the Bahamas, but there was no place to stay there. How do you guys work around that? Yeah, we, uh,
1: it, that has become a, a, you know, a, a, a tough thing for us. Um, you know, from leadership and, and some of the you know, that group that's there for a longer period of time, we have actually gone out and bought some travel trailers that can sleep, you know, three to four people in each one of those travel trailers. So there's a place for them to put their head. Um, you know, it does have a, you because know, even, you know, you talk about that, it's hard to find porta-potties and, you know, dumpsters and things that the first 72 to, you know,
0: hours or so right. when you're on the ground and getting those in place. Yeah, and what do you do if the guy next to you snores like hell? I mean, right. come on. You better have a good pair of earphones or earplugs. <laughs> yeah, I've stayed in a few of those little camp trailers before, and somebody gets to rattling around in there. The whole thing sounds like you're, you know, two pebbles in a tin can. So <clears throat> it works like that. Now, you are headed out uh, tomorrow as we're recording this. The show will play this weekend, but you're headed down to to work with some stuff from Dorian, aren't you, in the Bahamas?
1: Yeah, so... Uh, our team uh, um, got set up late last week. We made uh, one one little uh, flight over on Friday where so we took uh, a little over 3,000 meals um, already prepared in Fort Lauderdale and flew them into Grand Bahama. We flew into Freeport and unloaded and then uh, basically put them on the back of um, box trucks and took them into different parts of um, the Grand Bahamas to just feed the people um, who hadn't received that hot meal yet? And uh, um, then that the you know that next little storm came through, tropical storm came through that area this, over the weekend, and uh, they closed the airport in Freeport on Saturday, and uh, we didn't have a plane on Sunday to be able to deliver meals. So we just got a very interesting plane in that's starting to fly meals for us, called Miss Montana. Yeah. and Miss Montana is a 1944 C47. World War ii era um plane who has been totally restored and been going around the country doing air shows and things like that, but is going to be coming in the airlifting between ten to twenty thousand meals, you know, on each flight. Shorter runways. Those planes use. Shorter used- runways, they they can have it's got an increased capacity of payload. You know, it's not a fancy plane, you know. Um, if you're, if, if, if that's what I'm riding over in, that's good thing that carry and headgear with me, yep. you know, because it's not going to be quiet either, no. but it's going to get the job done more effectively than putting three or four, you know, it's going to take actually these smaller planes. It'll take probably five, you know, it's probably took five of those planes to six of those planes to come close to the payload that she has.
0: Right. Right. Well, and the thing is, those planes aren't pressurized either. Um, no. I mean, she's not. So, yeah, I'll get you some earplugs and stuff. Hey, we're going to take a break. We're going to be back with Stan Hayes from Operation Barbecue. Uh, we're going to talk about his book in the next segment. So, don't go away. You're listening to Barbecue Nation on the Envision Radio Network. If you're enjoying GT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G., where we talk home improvement and design, right here where you catch this podcast. Head to aroundthehouseonline.com. Hey everybody. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation uh, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios. That's our motto around here, Stan. If you didn't know it, we always tell them, turn it, don't burn it. So I think it's a good one to have. Uh, you're listening to this show on the uh, Envision Radio Network. And again, uh, really quickly, I'd like to say hi to our new affiliate, uh, WCGO, 1590 and 95.9 in Chicago. We, uh, we appreciate you letting us share this time with you on the afternoons. Um, Stan Hayes from Operation Barbecue Relief. You you put out a book, it's just it's just come out. It's just, you know, it's not even a month old, really, or so, uh, as far as hitting the newsstands or the bookstores. You got a lot of your, I'm assuming, some of these people you knew already, and some of them you probably just reached out to. There's a ton of great recipes. It's a beautiful book. Um, what was the impetus for you to put this book together?
1: Yeah, it, it it's funny. The idea came about probably about now almost three years ago, two and a half years ago was, hey, you know, what if we did a book and we asked our volunteers um, to be part of the book and we and we said, you know, that's a lot of people. I mean, we got a lot of volunteers that, you know, and this was a couple of years ago and we thought, well, well, why don't we, why don't we do it as, you know, they have to want a grand championship. Sure. And a sanctioned barbecue or steak contest to be in- included. That way we can, narrow the field a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked with the publisher They might, li- they liked the idea of what we were talking about and we pitched that idea and they thought that's, that's the way to go. Let's do that. Let's, let's come up with, you know, what that is. And so this is about 70 pit masters that are supporters of ours that uh, have won a, you know, a grand championship. But the other caveat is, is, you know, when you ask a, a barbecue guy for their recipes, the first thing is they're very protective, and we had to get by. that. pay—I don't care what your rib recipe is. I'm not asking for for that competition, right? Brisket recipe or something. I want to know what you cook your friends and your family in the backyard that you like to eat. Because personally, a lot of that competition barbecue, I don't like to eat because it's not what I would cook for myself. It's nope. what I'm cooking for six judges at a table.
0: Right. Right. So I always remember Amy hey. Amy Mill saying that. She knew when she judged one too many barbecue contests because she couldn't get her rings on and off her fingers because her hands were so swollen. <laughs> hey,
1: it, and it's true because what we put in there is
0: because that person's taking
1: a couple bites. Yep. You've got to get that attention. Yeah. Now, um,
0: now how and, does that, let, me, let me interrupt you for a second here, Stan. How, yeah. does, how does that, when you're cooking for the masses, which you literally are on Operation Barbecue Relief, but when you're cooking for the masses, Kind of give us a sense of how you're doing the seasoning. Is it kind of middle of the road? A lot of salt and pepper, maybe a little sweet, or you know, are you how, right. how, how you handling that?
1: So for years, it's been whatever gets donated. Okay. You know. So and 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 usually we have a variety of a you know a fairly good general pork type rub that's got some salt and some sugar in it. Sure. Yeah, you know, and and looks like a and tastes like a good pork rub. Um, and then we all a lot of times have more of a general purpose salt, pepper, garlic type rub that 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 comes in. Um, but then later this year we'll actually be launching a a, a line of rubs ourselves. Oh, okay. good. Um, and and you know each rub will tell a little bit of a story um, from prior disasters that we've worked and de- you know or we've deployed. And and our first one will be Jopla, a Joplin you know rub. Um, that is going to be a sweet and smoky, good on pork ribs um, type of a, uh, you know, sort of our staples and sure. cook pork the most. I mean, it's very effective, very high yield. Um, and then we'll go around the country to different disasters, and and on each rub, it will tell a little bit of a story about you know um, the disaster that it came from, and you know about. Being, you know, about being in Houston for Hurricane Harvey, or um, let's see, we have a Southern California moho rub that's going to be coming out. Uh, I mean, a Southern Florida moho rub, and then in Northern California, you know, a sort of a Santa Maria style seasoning that was inspired by, you know, being in that area um, for wildfires. So we've taken that opportunity. And we have a company that's picked it up to go nationwide, and that was just recently announced that Lowe's will have it in all 1,700 stores. Oh, great!
0: Um, all six rubs. Great. So, well, one of the, um, that's that that is good news, and that will definitely help the cash flow stand. Um, I want to get back to the book <clears throat> for a minute here. One of the things that I liked about the book and looking at it now, I will. Do a little, you know, full disclosure here. I have not tried to cook anything out of this because of my schedule, but I've got a free weekend kind of coming up. So I'm going to pick something out of your, uh, out of your book here and do it. But one of the things I was impressed with was most of these res- uh, recipes in the book don't take anything insurmountably special from the store. I mean, if you buy You know, five pounds of wings and you're going to do those or you buy some pork chops or whatever. You can find something in the book about it in the cookbook. And but a lot of cookbooks and even some barbecue books, you know, they come out and they say, well, you have to have this particular thing and it's only made in Baton Rouge. OK, well, I live in the northwest. We may not have that may not have accessibility to that. I mean, through Amazon, you can buy anything. You can even buy Baton Rouge through Amazon. But the point is, <laughs> is that you don't, it's not, sometimes it's not readily available. But in your book here, I liked it because, you know, and it is readily available and you do a lot of things that are, you know, like you, you've got some, mac and cheese casseroles like that. You've got a lot of fish dishes, which I happen to love fish. And I live up yep. here in the Northwest where we have a lot of seafood and fish. So a, a really complimentary towards that on, um, on your book here. So let me, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. Which of these is your favorite recipe in the book? Right, that's, uh,
1: that's really a tough one. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, uh, I've got two that I've been cooking a lot when I've been doing demos and going out with the book and, Um, highlighting things, and and one of them is my recipe, and the one that's my recipe is because it's so easy. And and it's uh, actually, uh, I think it's on page 36 of the book, Um, and and it's uh, it's a pork tenderloin with um, apricot jalapeno glaze. And uh, um, I, I love it because, one, I think people who don't have gotten away from cooking pork tenderloin because everybody used to cook it, to 165 degrees internal temperature because that's what they were told they had cooked pork to and, and it just, that piece of meat is so, so delicate that when you cook it that long it just becomes tough and, and not a flavorful meat. But yeah. to me, it's cost effective. It rivals a beef tenderloin because it'll take on any, any of the different seasonings that you want to use on it. Mm-hmm. It'll take that flavor on and if you cook that to 140 degrees, 135, and pull it and let it rest like you like you would a steak, that thing comes out so juicy, so flavorful. And so I try to, you know, I I use it because it's really cost effective. I talk about, you know, so people understand. Hey, one, the FDA came out and changed the temperature on pork, so you don't have to just over overcook the heck out of it. And that it's really easy because. You know, people get wild by apricot jalapeno glaze, but I'm like, hey, it's two different jellies with you know <laughs> mixed together with some rice wine vinegar. You don't have rice wine vinegar? Use some red wine vinegar. Cook it, and just let it cook out a little bit longer. Yep. Um, and it tones down that sweetness a little bit, and it adds that little bit of acid. And and uh, so that to me, that's again, I'm biased because it's one of my recipes, but it's the one I know that I can sit there and talk with people and still cook it and I can be on autopilot. Um, with that being said, I'm probably one of those guys, probably like you, you probably have like 40, 50, 60 cookbooks in there, yeah. you know, from everybody. And and every one of those cookbooks I have because, you know, they're friends or whatever, but there's recipes I'm interested in, this one has more recipes in one cookbook that I want to cook. And I'm like, you, I don't have the time to do all of them. Right. So I have to pick one When I know something's coming up. I'll pick a recipe that I haven't got to do, and I'll sit there and do it. Because I want to try it, um, but the second recipe in here is probably one that I think is the the most wowing one for like if you're doing a party, and it's Cindy's Mexican Street Corn, and Cindy's Mexican Street Corn. I mean, it's a beautiful picture in the book of it, um, and but you put that in a big cast iron skillet on there, you get it all put together, and it just is bubbly, oozy. And I don't use it as a side dish like it we had in here. I use it as a dip, you know. So I bring out the tortilla chips and everything, and people just dig into the street corn, um, you know. And uh, it is—it's just you can spice it up as much much as you want. But again, it's a great thing for people to stand around with dips and just di- or chips and dip and and just eat
0: it. Absolutely. And, uh, I, I, I'm, so, I'm looking at it. It looks. Uh... It looks easy and fantastic to do. It really does. Yeah. Uh, Here's a little news for you before we jump out to break here. The stress of the election season is already on us. Yeah, you know that as well as I do. But Chili's, the restaurant chain, wants to help you get through it by offering a special deal to all their guests who are over 21. Mm -hmm. Now, through Election Day on November 3rd, Chili's is offering their Presidente Margaritas for just five bucks. The Presidente Marg is one of the most classic cocktails on the Chili's menu, and they vow that every single one is shaken 25 times so your drink is cold and refreshing each time you get it. It's made with salsa tequila, Patron Citron, and LJ brandy for optimal taste. Along with the cheap drink, Chili's is also offering a few different ways for guests to win Presidente Margarita and election themed merchandise. First of all, when your order gets when you first of all, when you order your five dollar margarita at participating locations, you get a free Chili's I voted sticker, and that gives you a chance to win big. You can post a photo of your margarita on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter using the hashtag Presidente for Prez, and that automatically enters you into the big pool of entries because there's a lot of margaritas being sold. Uh, and they'll select your name. If they do, you get bigger prices. This comes out of delish.com. Alexis Murillo put this together, and we thank her for that. We'll be back uh, here on Barbecue Nation with more Stan Hayes right after this. Hey, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. really quickly want to say uh, this portion of Barbecue Nation is brought to you by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef, you can be proud to serve your family and friends and beef just like your grandpa used to raise. If he didn't, he should have, but it's really good stuff because I've been eating it for years. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Um, When talking to Stan about, uh, Stan, hey, sorry, I should say it properly here, CEO and co-founder of Operation Barbecue Relief, about their um, new cookbook, Operation Barbecue, You were talking about, you know, doing the pork tenderloins. I do those a lot. Uh, I mean, I do beef tenderloins and stuff, too. And I mean, try to keep it kind of rounded out. But you're right. You can get pork tenderloins or the sirloin roast or whatever. That stuff can turn into just a dry, tasteless kind of chewy wad if you're not careful. And uh, I um, I like your recipe the glaze especially when you just said well they're two jellies you know and we put a little rice vinegar in them and we you know reduce it a little bit and it's all good i think if people actually look at this they'll get uh, they'll get some great ideas and you know even if they're not following one recipe you know by the book so to speak i think it's there's great input and great information in this book
1: yeah you know you mentioned not having to have you know something special and even the recipes where some of these barbecue teams that have their own rubs and stuff right. that, are, that are in here, a lot of times it'll say, you know, use X rub or one that you like that's good on beef or one that you like that's good on pork. So it's saying, yeah, you know, this is what we use because they should have a chance to, you know, they're giving us their recipe. We're going to let them promote their rub or something in here. But, you know, almost every one of them, we tried to make sure it was added in there. Hey, you don't have to use that rub. You don't have to go on Amazon to try to find, you know, X X barbecue team's rub. Just use one that you like. Yep. Um, yep. And that's what I think everybody has to understand about cookbooks in general is, you know, if you don't have something, it's okay to substitute and try something else. Um, I know that that might be like blasphemy for some people <laughs> out there, but. But that's called cooking, in my opinion. Is you taking a recipe and and you know you have to you have to adapt it, and and that's what you know. We have to do that a lot on the fly when you're out there. You know, you're going to go serve. I mean, this evening I think we're sending ten thousand meals over to the Bahamas. Yep. Um, and uh, we're doing we're doing it in two different. We're going to have a bunch of chicken and you know with uh, some corn and you know mixed in with rice. And I believe that. The other one is, is we work with an organization called Feed the Hungry, and they have meal packets, and we take their red beans and rice meal packets to, you know, really uh, expand things, and since that's such a staple in the islands area around there, um, you know, we're, we're actually taking pulled pork, mixing it in with that to add the protein, you know, add protein in there, and since we're airlifting it and then it's going on trucks, we got, you know, a Cambro can keep it warm, you know, food safe for about five and a half to six hours, depending what's in there. Sure. Um, is what we're getting right now. But when you put, you know, rice and beans and we add corn to it and we, and we augment it, to, you know, and add to it, now we're taking this into a one-pot meal where you can give somebody a 14-ounce serving of this one-pot meal and it's got the pulled pork in it and it's got the beans and rice, the stuff that's going to stick to the bones and really help them, you know, feel full um, and be full and tie them over until the next time, you know, the next meal comes around.
0: Yep. And it's, it's tough because in some of those areas you, you guys might come in and like you said, serve 10, 20, 200,000 meals, whatever you're going to do, but eventually you guys have to go home and sometimes there's a gap between that and when they can get, uh, some, you know, another organization is there giving them food or something. Because when they, you know, I've been to a couple of these places after a storm. There's nothing. There's nothing. You know, there's no Seven Eleven to go to. There's no, you know, Kroger's or Walmart or anything like that. It's just, there's nothing. So they're kind of at the mercy of people's uh, humanitarian stuff. And, and I think uh, you're to be commended on that. Real quickly, um, before we run out of time here, Stan, how can people find out more? about, uh, operation barbecue relief. And then also a little more about the book. We've got about a minute here.
1: So, um, they can go to obr.org. Um, and right at the top of the website, there is a, you know, a volunteer button. There's a donate button right in the top header there that they can click to. If they want to get involved and volunteer, if they would like to donate, they can do it from right there. Um, to donate, they can also text from the smart, you know, their phone. The, the, the letters OBR to 41444 and that will send them an, a web uh, a mobile optimized link. It doesn't put it right onto their cell phone bill like others do. It, it just sends them a link to a to a mobile platform that they can make the donation from. Um, they can also go when they're on our website to our swag shop um, and under our swag shop and I actually I think there's actually an ad on the front page of the website for our book and they can order their book off there. They order the book off there. It is more expensive than going to Amazon, but Amazon doesn't have the, you know, it personalized to each person. So if they order it um, from our website, I get the emails. I, I actually sign each of those cookbooks, um, write a note to that person that bought it, you know, personalizing it to, you know, Bob or Jim or whoever it is. Um, and we've had a lot of ladies lately buying this cookbook for themselves saying, hey, I i know I'm the, I'm the grill master of my household, which is awesome to see.
0: So before we get out of here for the week, I wanted to tell you something that they're doing in Hawaii. The COVID-19 pandemic has affected all of us in one way or another. And it's been a crushing blow to the economy and it's left many out of work. And in the restaurant industry, which we've talked about many times. Restrictions on indoor dining have left many establishments just fighting to survive. Well, in Hawaii, the state is hoping to address two of these problems with one proverbial stone. It's providing $500 restaurant debit cards to unemployed residents. The Hawaii Restaurant Card Program is mailing $500 prepaid. Do that again. The Hawaii Restaurant Card Program is mailing $500 prepaid debit cards to around $116,000. Hawaiian workers who have been unemployed for the previous month, providing these funds as an additional supplemental benefit. The cards can be used only to purchase food and non-alcoholic beverages, but you can also tip with them at restaurants, including fast food spots and other eating establishments, and only in the state of Hawaii as a way to support the local economy. The cards will work from right now until December 15th, with any unused money going back to the state to spend on other pandemic-related issues. Pacific Business News explains that the program is a joint public-private partnership venture between Hawaii's Department of Business, Economic Development and Tourism, and the Chamber of Commerce of Hawaii, and the Hawaii Restaurant Association, and, there's a lot of people here, the Hawaiian Agricultural Foundation. And this whole thing has been funded by a $75 million allocated grant to the state by the CARES Act. Well, I think that's pretty cool. So we got to get out of here. I want to thank Stan Hayes for being with us today. Operation Barbecue Relief. We'll be back next week with another edition of Barbecue Nation. Take care, everybody. Barbecue Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.